to the Skeptic Wire. I guess. Well, this is episode 132 of The Skeptic Wire, and it is the 16th of October, and I am your host, Donna Swafford, and with me tonight is Greg Perrine. Yay, the government's kind of open again. Kind of. Well, okay. Votes haven't been taken. They said they were going to vote after dinner, and how late can they? Anyway. (laughs) It doesn't matter that people are going to listen to this days after this happened anyway. They're going to know more than we do, which oh. tends to happen a lot. But uh... <laughs> Unfortunately, our co-host Gary is out working on his master's degree. We wish him all the best of luck and hope he's not having more fun than us. Well, I just don't understand his priorities. I know they are a little skewed. He should be here. Weirdo. We we could always do the the Clint Eastwood and talk to the chair. No, forget but I. Even I said can that. do a Southern accent, but I can't quite do a Gary accent. Yeah, Gary has that way of snarkiness, just bubbling and oozing out of every word. That's his demeanor, not his accent. Anyway, so what's up with you? Ah, uh, nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> I did talk to a friend over the weekend who was saying, oh, you guys should do a live show again. We'll work on that uh, when we have a more reliable schedule with Gary not being sucked by the gravity of grad school. And Donna is currently sick right now, so who knows how long that will last. Hopefully not too long. The only person you can depend upon, dear listener, is Harpo the dog. Pretty much, yeah. She's pretty constant. Yep. Well, I saw Escape from Tomorrow, which is this great little film, and I highly recommend everybody... Is that the one Kurt Russell with the eye patch? No, that's Escape from New York. Okay. No, Escape from Tomorrow but is... But he did another Escape one. Escape from L.A. Okay. So this is neither one of those. No, this was actually a guerrilla-filmed movie done at Disney World. And it's dark. Not it's... by gorillas, like <laughs> no, like as in as in gorilla, like nobody around him knew that they were shooting a movie. Kind of GoPro down the shirt, kind of thing. Kind of because I mean, think about it. Cameras are ubiquitous at Disney World, so nobody, you know, you see someone with a camera, you don't think anything of it, right? And also, if you see someone with a, with a camera, you might think they'd be taking a picture, but only if they're holding it up to their face. If you have it subtly kind of in your hand in front of your chest, it doesn't occur to someone that you're taking a picture or video. They did this great little movie about this this guy who's basically lost everything, hasn't told his family, and he they have this annual trip to Disney World planned, so they go. And it's dark, and it's dreary, and it's gritty, and it was fantastic, and I was one of about five people in the movie theater, oh dear. which was kind of sad. Kind of a small independent film? Yes. Yeah. If you guys get a chance to go see it, I highly recommend it. It's called Escape from Tomorrow. No Kurt Russell. No Kurt Russell. <laughs> do we have a birthday today? Yes, we, we do. We need to do some celebrating. Yes. And uh, there's some honorable mentions like Oscar Wilde and Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead. But, I mean, Oscar Wilde is kind of skeptical, but not really kind of in the skeptical vein. The person from today's birthday was born October 16th. 1946. Any ideas, Donna? No, because had you said late 60s, early 70s, I was going to say Ed Brayton, the free thought blogger who blogs at Dispatches from the Culture War because it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, Ed. Happy birthday, Ed Brayton. But this is by no means Ed Brayton. First of all, it is a female. Okay, 1946 female. Blonde. TV film and stage actress. Okay, so let's see here, 46, that would put her almost, okay. Author, written very, very, very many books, telling you how to live your life. 
Oh, oh. Posed in Playboy. Oh, 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 the ditzy blonde from Three's Company. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Ditzy blonde from Three's Company, which had Jack Ritter, which had Joyce DeWitt. Jack Ritter, Joyce DeWitt, Suzanne Summers. Yes, very good. Old Thighmaster herself. Well, not that old, but... Why don't we just say it? Wackaloon. Yes. The reason why I'm bringing her up on a skeptical podcast, besides <laughs> the fact that I need to try to talk over the sounds of Harpo trying to destroy her toys, is that she is very vocal on some very controversial medical claims. Like She's... how she cured cancer. Yes. Back in 2001, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she had a lumpectomy and some radiation, but said... For everything else, I'm not going to do chemo. I'm going to be doing alternative therapies. As if the lumpectomy and the radiation was not anything that actually helped with the cancer. So she didn't do purely alternative therapies. She basically said, well, I'm going to take the medicine, but also pretend this other stuff is going to work. And pretty typically claim that it was the alt-med that helped her. Never some, mind the lumpectomy and the, exactly. and the radiation therapy. Uh, some years later, she was told that she was diagnosed with inoperable cancer, but essentially figured out fairly quickly that she was misdiagnosed. So it wasn't as inoperable. It wasn't as terminal, but chose to use that experience to... To pimp her shit out? Yeah. The book she wrote about alternative cancer treatments is called Knockout. So, you know, talks all about the alternative cancer theories and and a lot of her books. I mean, she has some general kind of fad diet books. Yeah. Which are kind of borderline skepticism and kind of, yeah, 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 whatever. But a lot of her books, especially tying around the cancer stuff, are, you know, you can have your diet way to a cancer-free life. Right. As we have talked about numerous times on this show, cancer is a complex disease that requires... Right. A whole litany of treatments. It's not just, oh, look, eat a couple of more apples and a banana here and there and you're going to be fine. Exactly. Yes, that may be doing for her psychological wellness, thinking that she is in charge of it and everything else. But I'm willing to bet in her case, the lumpectomy, the radiation therapy right. had a lot more to do with her getting better. Well, maybe after the lumpectomy and the radiation treatment, she started exercising more and eating healthier, which is generally good for you and allows your body to fight off the cancers, which most of the time it does. So exercise and diet is not an alternative therapy. It is healthy living. I wouldn't even call it a therapy. It's an additional tool. Sure. But it's not the end-all, be-all cure for things like a lump right. of cancer growing in your body. When it gets to that point where it's lumpy, your body can handle a few cancerous cells here or there who are growing out of control and deal with that. That's what the immune system is all about. But when it's gotten to the point where it is a big thing, that is when you have to have the severe inter interventions, which medicine does. Yep. Not, well, eat a bowl of broccoli, you'll be fine. Right, exactly. So, well, we're very happy that she has battled her cancer. She has won. Yeah. Quit peddling woo. Yes, because she's also into anti-fluoridation. She is also a very, very vocal proponent of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, especially for women, but apparently men and women. So some years ago, it was discovered that, well, the whole menopause thing could be helped with estrogen or estrogen bioidenticals in order to stop the hot flashes and all the other detrimental effects of menopause. And then some years after that, it was realized, oh, well, actually, that's not good. It's not good in all cases, let right. me put it that way, where some cases, if it's severe enough where you're dealing with the osteoporosis or whatever, maybe it is worth it. But it's not just a general, everybody should do this like everybody should eat broccoli. Right. She's very famous for talking about T.S. Wiley's Wiley Protocol, which is a specific kind of hormone replacement therapy. And this guy, T.S. Wiley, doesn't really have a lot of medical qualifications. And there's lots of criticism saying that it's basically scientifically unproven and dangerous. I am sure if you go to science-based medicine and look up T.S. Wiley or 
Suzanne Summers, you're going to find at least a couple articles on how this is bullshit. Yeah. And uh, the latest thing is apparently, along with all this other usual kind of alt-med woo, is that when the Sandy Hook Elementary shootings happened earlier this year, 2013, she for all intents and purposes, publicly said that it was his, the toxins from his diet and household cleaners that essentially made him crazy and, quote, over-electrified his brain, end quote. So okay. She's, she's definitely one of those people who has latched on to the alt-med meme and, like natural news, has started to accept all the satellite crazy that goes along with it. Yeah. So you, you you start thinking, well, I should eat healthier and exercise, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Thighmaster may have been a commercial craze that was became a punchline, but it was kind of an exercise thing, got people trying to exercise. Fine, I don't care. Maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. I have no idea. Well, apparently it must have, because I just saw an interview with her the other day where she gave way too much information about how much sex she's having. And, yeah, she's, and so apparently that Thighmaster... Well, this hormone replacement thing is tied into the sexiness because she has this long regime of like creams and pills and supplements every day. And apparently that's making her have lots of lovely sex. Well, good, good for, for her. Good for her. But Keep having sex yes. so you shut your mouth up about woo type stuff. Yeah. I mean, it does kind of refute the whole Miley Cyrus, you can't have sex after 40 or some, some stupid thing. Yeah. But a little creepy, but also a lot of alt-med stupidness. So that's why I'm going to say this week's website versus website, which sometimes we do at the end of the episode. We're going to do it right now. SuzanneSummers.com. It already has a red tag to it, which I think we should add to and solidify. Because she has lots of woo all over that site. But there's another website when you just Google Suzanne Summers that could use some Web of Trust ratings. There's nothing very horrible on this site. But when your website at the bottom says that this website is not dispensing medical information and it does not diagnose any conditions, maybe you need to give sexyforever.com a bit of a negative Web Trust rating. Now... Rate it however you want. If you think it's middle of the road because it's not as bad as the other websites, fine, go ahead. But I think SuzanneSummers.com and her associate website for SexyForever.com deserve some Web of Trust website versus website rating. Well, in the time that you talked about it, I've managed to already rate both of them. So thank you very much. See people, it only takes a couple of seconds to go in there and, and give a rating. The longest thing about the whole web of trust thing is going to mywot.com and installing the plugin in the first place. Yeah. Once you've done that, every week when we mention something or if you subscribe to Skeptic Action on Twitter, every website they send out, you just take 30 seconds, you're done. Yeah, exactly. It's not that hard at all. But someone who I have a personal positive web of trust feeling for is my friend Gary from Sweden, who I met a couple years ago at TAM. Is he a chef? I don't... No, no, he is not the Swedish chef. <laughs> Damn it! Hope you realize I was just joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he does. Uh, he's a really nice guy who I met at TAM a couple years ago, and he's from Sweden, and his name is Gary, and it is also his birthday today. So happy birthday, that Gary. Not our Gary from the podcast, but... The other Gary. The other Gary from Sweden. So, happy birthday, other Gary from Sweden. Happy birthday. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. So, there's been a lot of news out lately. And, you know... Yes, there is lots of news all the time. Oh, God, yes. And we're going to talk about some of it today. I, I want to talk about Oprah. No, I'm offended. We shouldn't talk about that. Just because you're offended doesn't mean we can't talk about her. We can talk about her in a nice, calm, civil manner. Unlike the words that I was using the other day to describe her, which was, well, we're just not going to repeat. But Oprah came out with a statement after interviewing Diane. Well, it, it or no, it was in the interview. It was the interview itself. Yeah, process. with Diane Nyad? Yes. Diana Nyad, who, as we all know, just swam from Florida to Cuba Took her a couple of attempts. She's a 
she's a lady of age. She's, I don't know exactly how old she is, but she's, she's 64. 64 years old. She's made a several attempts. She finally succeeded. Congratulations. Great role model. Promoting health. Promoting what you can do. But she came out as an atheist. And it appears Miss Winfrey had a problem with that. If you watch the interview, which is available to look at at least the segment we're talking about, which I think it's on Friendly Atheist or the Raw Story article where we read about it. It's this basically one-on-one interview where it's all kind of soft focus lighting and everybody's It's very typical Oprah, I'm not really going to be hard hitting. I'm human interest. Yeah, it's her Super Soul Sunday segment. I don't know if this is a web thing. I'm sorry, that just... Yeah, Sounds. I think it's on her Oprah Winfrey network somewhere. Obviously, they had a longer conversation about Diana Nyad's life and what she's doing. But basically, Diana said that she she felt a lot of awe in the universe. And she said it longer than that, but I'm paraphrasing. Basically, Oprah responded. Some people are saying that she responded as baffled, but also baffled with a healthy dose of derision. Right. Of, you I watched- feel awe? That's, I, I mean, that's the way she said it. It's like, you? you? You call yourself an atheist, but you feel awe? Right. What? I don't understand I wa- that. I watched the interview after it all became news, because knows I'm not going to watch Oprah as it is. I don't even really watch her movies, because I think she picks really bad movies to do. But that's just my own personal opinion. But it was haughty derision. But Diana and I had also came across with that whole... I'm an atheist, but I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. We got to be careful not to do the no true Scotsman kind of thing. But to me, it just (sighs) seemed like someone who did not believe in a personal God or even a creator God. She didn't even seem deistic, but was someone who never, who, who this was not a focus of her personal investigation she just hasn't thought a lot about it. right it's it, to me she came across as being and this is just a personal opinion i don't have any reason to base this this is just kind of that whole buddhist hindu jedi you know we're all interconnected very hippie-ish hippie dippy yeah because a lot of the articles talked about the awe thing about the derision and questioning of how can you feel awe but later on in their conversation Diana and I had started talking about, well, I look into people's souls. I feel they're all souls. And she felt that something of the soul continues after death, even though she feels that the body decays. Right. So it's one of those things where it really was that kind of spiritual, but religious, but non-religious religious kind of thing. So it's, it's not like Oprah was interviewing David Silverman or something, someone who has, made a career of being an atheist or even one of us, I'm sure we would have given a different response. Yeah. I I would have said it. She said, you know, Oh, you don't believe in all. And I would have said something like seeing my children discover something for the first time. That is awe inspiring. Standing on a, a mountaintop in Europe and being able to see for literally hundreds of miles. Yeah. And that's awe. But that, that is essentially the good representation Diana gave of atheism in saying, essentially, I can stand on a beach alongside a believer, yeah, a Christian, yeah. a Buddhist, whatever, and feel the same human awe. Right. We see the same thing. We still have the same amazing connection to the universe. And also she talked about things like feeling connected to all the people who have lived before us, the billions of people who live here now that were all one kind of community whatever and it's a little hippy dippy ish but it is we are one big species right despite how you might slice things up based on religions or nationalities or something like that so she did represent us well that way right i will give diana nyad the point of being an atheist in that by true definition she is one she doesn't believe in any god a god yeah whether it's big g little g Thor, Yahweh, whatever. She's like, I don't don't believe in that. But she's got that very Jedi, the forces within all of us, and it binds us together 
Uh, I have a and problem she, with she that. She was but... willing to come out and identify herself as an atheist. Which I give her the credit because that is something that is incredibly difficult. Especially when you meet that kind of derision and disbelief. Right. That it, it seemed like Oprah was surprised that Diana Nyad was not an angry atheist, was not trying to combat her. That's the first thing that people see because all they see is, oh, well, you're trying to stop some poor little church from displaying the cross. They always forget that little part about public property. They always forget the little stuff afterwards. Because at that moment, the people who feel about that cross are taking it very personally. So I take it personally when they put a cross on public property, you know? I had an interesting, yeah, I'll call it just interesting experience last week where I went and got my hair cut. The fact that I got my hair cut is not the interesting part. The interesting part is that I was sitting there kind of chatting with my hairstylist and someone in the other part of the salon was talking about Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship with Jesus. And I kind of chuckled to myself and kind of let that go. But essentially that led to a discussion about religion. And this is someone who's been cutting my hair for the last couple of years. And part of that discussion, I said, yeah, yeah, and I'm an, I'm an atheist. And she was surprised, but not shocked and didn't stab me in the neck with her scissors. Well, that's a good thing, because then you wouldn't be here. And but I'd was, be talking to myself. Was just one of those things where she was, it, it hadn't occurred to her. So we talked some about, were you always non-religious? I was like, no, I was raised in a Presbyterian church. And then eventually, because of family situation, my mom went to a Baptist church and we went there as well. And that kind of started some of my disbelief in realizing that these two churches we went to were essentially the same. Why are they different? And And all that kind of thing. So... I had a positive discussion with this woman and the other people in the salon I know were listening to us and they got the experience of hearing someone say, I am an atheist in parentheses and you know me and basically I'm not beating down the walls and smacking someone for believing that they have a personal relationship with Jesus and that their religion is different from any other. So when I basically said, well, no, I don't believe in any religion. I don't believe in anything supernatural or Bigfoot or ghosts or aliens have visited us or anything like that. And they were kind of surprised, but I just said, that's pretty much what I believe. And there was no way they could really be offended by that. I always, I mean, this is just, this is just going to be a side note for me because I always find it funny when people say that whole, oh, it's not a religion. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, then <laughs> take your damn cross and get it off my public property. And then they start screaming, the freedom of my religion, the freedom of my religion. Yeah. No, you just said it was a personal relationship. A lot of <sighs> it seems to be along the same line of, well, I believe in this religion, but I, I'm going to cherry pick what I want to believe in because they can't believe in the burning bush, the little snake, the, what is it? The, the, the part of the old Testament where Noah, uh, not Noah, for Moses looks at God and God is walking away and he sees his bare ass or some yeah. stupid thing like that, or that God was a physical being at some point in the stories. And it's how, how the goalposts have moved from God being at the top of a mountain to God being up in the clouds to God being out in the universe, which is where the Mormons are dealing with it right now, or that God is outside the universe, but affecting the universe. It's pretending that their religion is not as silly as all the other ones. I understand religion is, is extremely personal to people. It brings a lot of hope to their lives and in everything else. I just wish that they had that same hope in humanity that they have in God because they don't. You know, and that's where I put my hope. I, I'm constantly disappointed, <laughs> but <laughs> I still try. It, a lot of it centers around the idea that, well, if it's bad now, it'll be better later on. It, this is not right. This not is the not end. the end. Yeah. And Whereas it, I'm, uh, you know, the worms come in, the worms go out, and sort of girl. <laughs> <laughs> so we we mentioned a minute or so ago about the idea of you know the cross being on the lawn. 
being offensive to some people and offensive to others, but there was an interesting article this week at cracked.com about five things everyone gets wrong about being offended. And I think it ties into a lot of the stories that we were planning on talking about this week about atheism and religion and kind of the intersection and conflict between the true on full believer like Oprah or some of the other people we're going to talk about and the secular point of view. But the point can also be broadened to just general offensiveness or whatever, yeah. because this article was talking about how there's a web cartoon, Penny Arcade, which I made don't... some offhand rape remark or something, and then it turned into your typical internet shitstorm about people being offended and what you're allowed to say or not. Right. And you see this a lot. Okay, I'm just going to use this as an example because we, we hadn't planned on talking about this, but... There was an article out today in the Huffington Post where Gloria Steinem basically said, lay off Miley Cyrus. It basically the gist of it was is, don't hate the player, hate the game. She said, Miley Cyrus is making it in the world and she's playing by the rules that have been reinforced by society. Don't hate her for doing that. She's using her sexuality. She's using all of these things to her advantage to get further in the world. If you don't like what she's doing change the culture don't get mad at her for playing by the rules it's the same principle of if you don't like the big box stores don't go shop Shopping. at walmart and inevitably people came out offended about what she said and inevitably it drew down to that whole idea of well look at gloria Steinem. she's blood ugly she's 80 years old and you know ooh. She fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. That was one of the comments that I saw. And I was like, <sighs> she has a point here, people. Stop getting offended by what she said. Don't go and attack her. Attack her personally. Attack what she said. If you have a problem with what she said, by all means, use a rational, cogent argument to argue it. But just turn around and say, both of them are hose bags. One, it proves the point that women's worth seems to be tied to their appearance yep. and their sexuality. And that's what Miley Cyrus is playing on. And not just Miley Cyrus, but her handlers yes, who choreographed her dance and put her in those outfits. It's not just her by herself. It's the whole Republican Democrat. You didn't do that by yourself thing. It's a group effort. And also as much as Miley Cyrus has a right to say, well, no, I won't do that. And Hey, this is a good idea. Let's go ahead and do that. She is also a young woman who is raised very conservatively, I might say, very protected, yeah. and maybe doesn't know where her limits are. So she's trying everything out and maybe not getting it all right. She's being a little over-enthusiastic maybe, but I don't think she's a horrible person. I And I think that the whole system like you said and like Snydom said is pushing towards the idea of you gotta be sexy like Madonna like right. Catherine Hepburn like Cleopatra it's been for thousands of years the women are supposed to look beautiful to impress you right exactly I agree with Gloria Steinem she pointed out that the largest scholarship system the largest paying scholarship system for women today is pageants yeah we don't see young men 18 to 25 being put on display like that. They get to make the choice about whether or not they want to dance for Chippendales. But they, <laughs> this whole pageant beauty It's very thing. archaic. I think so, insulting, but that's, that's my personal offense. Right. And going back to the Cracked article, the first point, or point five because they count down, is that you can't talk someone out of being offended. So the point that the author was making was along the lines of the the phrase of, oh, I was just kidding, it's just a joke, or trying to reason someone out of, well, you shouldn't be offended because I really meant it this way, is never really going to do anything. Because right. first, it's of the person who's talking, it's the defense mechanism, the knee-jerk reaction to say, well... I wasn't trying to hurt anybody, so it must be you that got it wrong by being offended. Right. It's the, I'm sorry that you feel that way argument. 
in the same way as you can't reason someone out of be offended, you have to realize that people are offended for some reason. And in the rest of the article, kind of, you have to find that balance behind, well, someone offended because of some small reason very specific to them, or is it relevant to society? And right. The issue with the Oprah article and the Oprah incident, and even Miley Cyrus or whatever, is that Oprah's criticism of atheists is talking about a whole segment of humanity and not understanding that we are all humans, we're all the same. No one should try to talk us atheists out of being offended by Oprah's derision, her tone, and her, oh, well, you know, maybe you're going to be surprised one day and have an oh, wow moment at the pearly gates, because that's essentially how she kind of tied yeah. up that, that article. Pascal's wager. It's, yeah, sort pretty of. much. The, the article about being offended really ties a lot about empathy. It seems that Oprah doesn't have empathy towards, towards atheists. atheists because we are an out group for her. Right. She's been able to kind of reconcile that she's okay with Muslims and Jews because they also believe in a God and maybe a little further away the Hindus because they believe in something supernatural. But we're such an out group to Oprah that she can't empathize with us. And that causes problems for society, which means that us as atheists being offended by her reaction, and I think it was Boston American Atheists started putting out some meme photos today yeah. where to basically said, we are offended and this is why. When someone is offended, that can change society if and it's being I, offended about the right thing. And Oprah is one of those people that she wields a lot of influence. I don't think that people realize exactly how much influence oh, Oprah yeah. wields. I mean, back when I was in college, I worked for Barnes Noble, which is a great job. And when I went back to it, it was when Oprah was first starting up her book club. So way back in the mid nineties, we would literally have a rush of people at three o'clock in the afternoon coming in for Oprah's book. And it got to the point that Barnes and Noble would contact the Oprah people on Friday and get the list of everything that she was promoting that week so that we knew ahead of time. And so that when people would come in going, I saw this book on Oprah, right. we could just go, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. She's a major economic influence in that way and in others, like right. how people have criticized her about Jenny McCarthy supporting that monetarily. But also she is a very big cultural influence. Right. And that can then be a big danger, like I said, with Jenny McCarthy, but also with the book thing, with the whole million little pieces fiasco. Right. Where if she throws her weight behind something. It sells. It sells. So if she throws her weight behind the idea that atheists aren't real people too, that can be very Indeed. detrimental. Atheism has been fighting the stereotype. Yes, we embrace it, you know, of the, oh, we babies, you know, yeah. and you know, we embrace that. That's an in-joke for us. But if Oprah turns around and says, oh, well, yeah, you guys eat babies, we're going to be offended. <laughs> a, you, you're not allowed to use our in-joke. That's, that's right. ours. Because you're an outsider. And you've looked down on us on haughty derision, so... Right. The, the next point on the cracked article was basically you can't force someone else to be offended for you. So trying to tell Oprah that, do you realize what you're doing is offensive to a big group of people? It's going to be kind of an uphill battle because she's going to rationalize right. for herself. It's just like the Washington Redskins name. I agree with it. I don't agree that we should be using it. I, I understand I don't feel how it's offensive I, because I've never had to deal with that. But I understand for Native American groups, this is highly offensive. This is a, a dirty term. I was discussing this with someone at work the other day. And it'd be like if when the Cleveland Browns in the 1990s moved to Baltimore and they became the Baltimore Ravens. How would people react if the team that was started in Baltimore would be the Baltimore niggers? That would, that would be a shit storm that would to be end all shit storms. Yeah, it would be apoplectic. So, I mean, maybe it's not quite the level of nigger of a word that causes that much 
initial triggering, even when I am saying the word to talk yeah. about it, I get a little clenching because it is such a problem to me. I think it is more along the lines of we were talking a week or two ago about the word gypsy, about it referring derogatorily to the Romani. Well, not as many people know that gypsy is felt as a derogatory term, so people sometimes just throw it around. Right. It's like the term midget with little people or dwarves. They prefer right. little people or dwarf, not midget. And talking about this with the guy at work, he was saying, well, you know, why is this all of a sudden become an issue? And I said, actually, all my life, it's I've heard about this. It just surges up every once in a while. And it goes back to the cracked article of people have been trying to convince other people to, to be offended about this for years. Right. And it just has not stuck. Yeah. There are certain words in, in our society that we know you don't say. But there are terms out there that the groups are either much smaller or much more insular. It's not said, oh, don't say gypsy. Mm -hmm. Say Romani. Don't say midget, say little person. <laughs> because these groups are much, much smaller than, say, the African-American groups or Jews or atheists. But it seems like in the, the Redskin situation that at least the owner is starting to get it because he's willing to talk about it. Yeah. And my example about the Cleveland Browns becoming the Baltimore Ravens was part of my example in that discussion with that guy about, you know, people have talked about tradition of, well, they've just always been the Redskins. Well... I was talking about this situation to an African-American guy, and that's why I use the example of why would they call the Baltimore Ra Ravens the Baltimore niggers? That would be horrible, right? The idea of, well, slavery was a tradition. That doesn't mean it good. Right. Just exactly. because it's always been that way. And there's already a precedent of the Browns becoming the Ravens, of the Tennessee Oilers became the Tennessee Titans. There are all these name changes in teams. You can change the name. It's not really going to hurt anything. Right. I You're remember... going to have to redo some logos. Okay. Everybody's going to still be buying your product. Yeah. Just look at it this way. It is a marketing tool. <laughs> Football is here to stay. And Especially in Texas. <laughs> the, the whole, I well, okay. This is getting off on a side rant, but the whole idea that the team you were reading for in 1980, that was the quote unquote Redskins, I... Highly doubt there was anybody, maybe a sideline coach or two, who are associated with that team that are associated with this team now that are, quote-unquote, the Redskins. Right. It is. There's no line of continuity. It's not like being a fan of the Grateful Dead, which was pretty much the same in 1965 as in 1995 when they stopped touring. Exactly. Yeah, you know, there there are other rock bands where you discuss. Was it Yes, where they're just a constantly changing cavalcade of different musicians. I don't know about that group. We'd have to ask George Robb. Hey, they just got nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, but a name change, eh, it's not the end of the world. And well, someone who I think might believe in the end of the world and doesn't quite understand why other people are offended or shocked by his words is Antonin Scalia. For those who don't know, he is part of the United States Supreme Court, one of the seven or eight, nine? Nine, I believe. Damn, god damn it, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> uh, I'm a stupid American. Justice Scalia is one of the nine sitting Supreme Court judges, and he just recently had an interview in New York Magazine where in the course of the interview, he basically said that he literally believes in the devil and that the devil is a real person, and he used the words real person, and said that every Catholic believes this, and that he talked about the idea of it's hard to believe in the devil because he's gotten smart and wily. He's not being as overt as he used to be. Well, neither is God, but we'll get beyond that point. Basically, he doesn't have a problem with atheists. He doesn't think atheists are Satan's minions. But that oh, does. That's, 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 that's a nice. change. That's a plus. But he Usually specifically we get... said that disbelief in God, quote, certainly favors the devil's desires. So we are doing the devil's work. Not to put too many words We're not his, his minions. We're just his, what, hapless slaves? We are unwittingly his... doing the devil's work. 
we've let the devils into our heart or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the the crux of this article and why a lot of people are shocked, maybe not offended, but shocked by his words is the sentence, You look at me as though I am weird. This is a person who is educated, who has a lot of power in this country, and is essentially saying... Wait a minute, I believe in the Tooth Fairy. You're looking at me like I'm strange or something. I don't think he understands, because he has this insulated Catholic worldview, that other people might think that's a little strange. He thinks we're out of touch, thinking that it, believing in the devil is weird. Yes, there are plenty of Americans who do believe in the devil, but not every Catholic in the entire world believes in a literal devil. There's a lot of wishy-washy Christians who believe in a metaphorical devil and the devil is just our bad impulses inside and stuff like that. But he thinks that people who don't believe in the devil are removed from mainstream America. And this is someone who is making vital decisions for the entire United States and the world. That's the problem that I have is that I think that he is removed from America because I think that he's quoted later on is he was asked, you know, like, what newspapers does he read and everything else? And he... The Sarah Palin gotcha question. Right. But he his answer was very much very conservative. So he allows himself to stay in a single bubble protected. He stays, he stays in the Fox News echo chamber. Yes, exactly. And so I have a huge issue with him making important decisions about my body and shit like that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's the the biggest thing that's scary about this is from our point of view as secularists, it's really scary that he literally believes in the devil because people can believe in a God. And we're not going to say that he can't believe in the devil or a God, but that he takes it so seriously is a problem. But the biggest issue seems to be to me that his reasoning for saying this He's quoted as saying, Most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history. Many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. The idea that, well, people have always believed in it. Well, the simple counter-argument to that is a lot of people believe the world was flat. That doesn't make it right. People believe slavery was okay. People believe that Chinese medicine is better than Western modern medicine. There is a lot of... Well, I believe because it's tradition, because it's this, because it's that, blah, 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 doesn't really matter. And there are a lot of people defending Scalia saying that, how dare you try to censor his right to believe? And I don't think anybody's doing that, but the idea that we can't mock a belief of that way because someone like Scalia might think it's offensive Or someone else might be offended by people mocking Scalia, saying, you really believe in the devil? Seriously? This Um, is the 21st century. What is wrong with you? That is my right to say that because his right to believe is sacrosanct, but his beliefs are not not. sacrosanct. And, And that's where the whole offense thing of kind of couching all these discussions about the correct article really comes in. You have the right to be offended, but... One of the other points was point number two. We're skipping one here. Being offended doesn't always matter. Right. Just because you might be offended that I mock Antonin Scalia for believing in the literal devil or call Oprah wackadoodle because she's shocked that atheists believe in awe and can be awed. That does not mean that your offense means anything. Right. Whereas say, the discussion about the Washington Redskins, the fact that a whole segment of humanity that have been tramped upon for years and years and years and treated horribly associated with the word redskin, that's why the offense matters. If it's a personal offense, if if you can say, hey, I'm offended by what Oprah says because it affects me personally... But I'm I'm a single person. If she had said, hey, Donna, you're an atheist, ha, 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 I would be offended personally, but it wouldn't really matter to anybody else. But the fact that she says that atheists can't have awe, when it targets a whole group, that's when you should be offended. Yeah, if, if my hair salon example, if 
someone was offended by the fact that I grouped in ghosts and Bigfoot in with God. That's an individual person. I have the right to mock that as my beliefs, but that's not saying that I'm not going to allow you to build a church or associate with the people you want to associate with. Just as if they were saying the idea that Christianity is a different than a religion, it's a not a religion, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, whatever, that offends me intellectually, but it doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things. But someone in the government saying, well, we really need to have an invocation before Congress. Chris, or or... The, the thing that happened today or today or yesterday when the House GOP members were doing their last-ditch effort to fuck up our government and they started everything out by singing Amazing Grace – yeah, it's like, like that was going to do anything and wasting America's time. That's where the offense was like, hey, do your fucking job. Don't just be Christians, be senators and yeah. congresspeople. Because as senators and congresspeople, they are beholden to all of their constituents, not just the Christians, not just evangelicals, but to the Jews, the Hindus, and hey, even us atheists, even though we have Ted Cruz as one of our senators. <laughs> which we won't get into yeah. so back to the cracked article what one of the ideas that i skipped number three was it's pretty rude to get offended for someone else we have a situation that happened at the london school of economics where they were having essentially a freshman cultural fair kind of all the different organizations, you, you think everybody handing out pamphlets of joint yeah. fraternity. One of the groups there was the Atheist, Secularists, and Humanistic Student Society, ASH. And some of the members of the society were wearing t-shirts with Jesus and Muhammad on them. Now, this is not just Jesus and Muhammad in it's general. It's the cartoon, the, the Jesus and Mo show. Right. Not everybody who wrote about this story in the press quite got that. Didn't really include that part. That it was this Jesus and Mo cartoon. Essentially, other people complained and said, I think this might be offensive, or at least that's how I got it. That's how I read it, that people were be offended for someone else or the idea of, oh, my God, someone has depicted Muhammad in any way, shape or form. We're automatically going to have a riot. So I'm going to be offended for them. They're making it more about themselves than about someone who might actually be offended or affected by that. You know what, though? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a counter-argument here, though. Go ahead. Sometimes it takes the bigger group. It took white landowning males to come together and say, Hey, you know what? You ladies over there. Yeah, you with the boobs and the vagina. Here, let's let you vote now. Right. It took... It took those of us with the boobs and vaginas going to the white landowning males and saying, Hey, this isn't right. We are not equal. To me, this one is kind of an iffy, it's rude to get offended for somebody else. There are times when you need other people to be offended for you to get that point across. I totally agree that this situation of being offended for someone else, it really depends a lot on the context. And, and that's the weird thing about this issue at the London School of Economics these two students who are wearing the Jesus in the most shirt were told to take it off or turn it inside out, something like that. People thought it would be provocative and possibly offensive. And yet Miriam uh, Namazi, who's an ex-Muslim, is going to be coming to talk at the college sometime in the near month or two or something like that. Apparently she has said, well, I'm going to wear one of these T-shirts in protest when I come there. And the college is saying, well, in that context, it's fine. That's the problem right. here where someone is the idea of being offended for someone else and that being not the right way to be offended. It really comes back to me of that kind of annoying hippie PC police person, you know, from college who just says, well, you can't do that because someone else might get offended. Right. You can't use that word. Yeah. You can't dress that way. If, if the Jesus and Mo shirt is offensive then it is offensive in all contexts. Wearing it at Mariam Namazi's speech should be equally as offensive if it, is, if it is truly something that is offensive as a freshman mixer kind of thing. Yeah. So that's where I think this is really the problem of someone getting offended for someone else and making it about themselves thinking, aren't I great? I'm 
I'm teaching you. I'm teaching. Exactly. I'm preventing someone else from getting offended. I am so good here. We've all met the PC people. We all deal with them on a regular basis, whether it's religious PC or political PC or vegan PC or or climate change PC. You know, oh, don't say that over there. They don't believe in climate change. You might offend them. You know what? I'm fucking going to offend them. <laughs> now, I hate to say this. <laughs> I, I, a minute ago, I said something that's offensive should be offensive in any context. Okay. With a grain of salt, I'm going to take that back <laughs> because there are conversations that you and I have had as friends, Donna, where we've joked about killing each other oh, or yeah. fuck you in the, in the head with the spear or something <laughs> like that. Or, or just joking with a, if I joke with a female friend, go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich or something like that. It's sandwich. Got to get it right. I'm sorry. I'm not originally from Texas. <laughs> it's sandwich. <laughs> but it's S-A-M-M-I-C-H. Sandwich. <laughs> if I say something like that or some lewd comment to a female friend of mine who I know, then that's not a big deal. But if I'm walking down the hallway with my friend and I make a lewd comment, we know each other, it's okay, and some other guy walking down the hallway who doesn't know either one of us joins in and makes a similar level lewd comment, that is not appropriate because you don't know any of us right. and you don't know the effect you're going to have on the individual. And, and again, it comes back to empathy, understanding that I know this person, Donna knows that I am deathly afraid of her because I know she can kill me. So I'm not going to make any serious statements or jokes about anything murderous towards her or sexist towards her. But occasionally I can make little jokes. Yeah. And you will respond, oh, I hate you guys or I'm going to kill you. But I know you don't mean it either. That's because you and I or you and Gary or Gary and I, we have a history I know that if Gary says, hey, move your fat ass, I'm trying to get through, that he's not being rude, crude, obnoxious. He's being Gary. Yeah. Okay. We can chalk it up to, that's just Gary. Now, I know for a fact that Gary, if he was on a crowded escalator and there was some woman standing in front of him and he wanted to get past but he didn't know her, he wouldn't say, move your fat ass. He'd tap her very politely on the shoulder and say, excuse me. And they would probably step to the one side and let him by. Right. Whereas Gary's going to tap me and go, move your fat ass. Yes. It's, it's context. It's having, Mm -hmm. it's, well, yeah, like I said, it comes back to empathy. It's being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Right. Of how would I feel if someone did that to me? In the context, if they said it, if the problem with Oprah, with Scalia, with the Washington Redskins thing is people not understanding the other side of this and how it would feel to be told that you can't feel awe because right. you don't believe in God. It would be like Oprah being told you cannot feel awe because of the color of your skin. That is something that she cannot change. Where every day people of color, women like you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, are told that people of color are told they're, they can't be dedicated, they can't work hard, they're, they're right. dangerous. Women are told that they are valued Sex only, objects. Yeah, valued only for their appearance and attractiveness. After a woman is of a certain age, she's no use to the world because she ain't pretty no more. Exactly. And and the idea that you can't get into that someone else's shoes and understand that they are a human being who might be affected by that is really scary. Just as scary as one of the last things I wanted to bring up in this whole are you offended or not discussion slash atheism in the news discussion, there was a little thing on Salon.com about our old friend Glenn Beck, (sighs) where he believes that in order to make sure that you teach your children right, you teach them that their rights come from God, that you should get in their face until you make them cry. You push them because if you don't do that now, it's going to be much worse later if they're pushed or shoved or shot. 
So the idea is you must bully your children into believing in God no matter what. Now, on one hand, I'm going to take a step back and have putting on my understanding hat. It's the same understanding hat that I wear when I get a visit from the Jehovah's Witnesses at the door in that I understand from their point of view, they are trying to help me and save me. They are annoying me on a Saturday afternoon, maybe, by ringing my doorbell when I'm in my bathrobe. Good for them that I close the bathrobe. But the idea that you should take extreme measures to force someone to believe in God, no matter what, raises to the level of abuse and does not understand how someone else might feel, or the idea that not everybody would believe in something you can't prove, like God. There is an extreme lack of empathy in the world. We see it every day. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news. Well, hell, this whole political boondoggle in the United States Congress has come from not being able to see the other person's point of view. The idea that the House Republicans are saying, I must get my way no matter what. Everybody else is wrong and I'm 100% right and nobody should ever disagree with me so I can do this shut down of government no matter what. Right, exactly. I believe that we need to show empathy to everybody and everything else, but you don't have to necessarily show empathy to all of their bad ideas. We can feel empathy for what Justice Scalia believes and understands that he was raised in that worldview and that's just all he's ever known and has never questioned that. But you don't have to feel empathy for the belief itself. Right. For the idea. He has some ideas that I... You know, that you and I would seriously go, really? That's really what you think. Most everything, but yes. <laughs> but, I mean, he is a human being. He's a member of the human race. All of these things. So, I mean, if he were to die today, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily feel sad because I don't know him personally. But, you know, I would feel that, you know, he, you know he's got family and friends and they're sad. So I am sad for them and all of this jazz. And I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> I'm sick, so it's my but, attention spans that of an autistic man. the idea that Nat. you would feel empathy for even someone you disagree with as much as Scalia, or someone who we think is much of a schmuck as Oprah or Suzanne Somers. Or Glenn Beck. Or Glenn Beck, that we understand, we can take a step back and realize intellectually that this is their worldview and see kind of how the chess pieces moved their board into that position in life. doesn't mean you have to sympathize with it but you can empathize and understand that they are human being and that's going back to the last item on the cracked article is the idea that being offended and understand someone else's offense and having that empathy and understanding why this bothers someone can be really good for humans in the long run we can put ourselves in each other's shoes we can say we know enough about offense and about human psychology to realize that when someone says, I'm offended, and your hackles get up and think, well, you're wrong, you shouldn't be offended by this, you have to take a step back intellectually and say, well, wait a minute, hold on, why are they offended by this? Right. Because there, there are very few people in the world, and I'm, I'm using world in history here in the, in the same context, that I will admit that I can show no empathy with. Hitler. Here's a prime example. Okay, I just got wind myself, but we'll use right. it. I don't understand. I cannot understand how he came to his ideas. I cannot respect his ideas. I cannot respect him in the least. There's just, there's, there's none of it. Harpo doesn't like Hitler either. But then to turn around and say, oh, well, you're an atheist. You're just like Hitler, which are words that we frequently hear. Exactly. It's... Not the same level of offense <laughs> here, people. My disbelief in whatever God you've chosen to pray to, or gods you've chosen to pray to, I'm not out there asking for every Christian to be gassed. Yeah. Okay? If I make a joke about Christianity, I didn't just murder six million people. Yeah, one, one of the Everything point... <laughs> has to be in context. Yeah, one of the points in the cracked article was that every time someone's offended doesn't always matter. The, the little example they used in the article is that if someone was beat up by someone who had a 
a very odd skin tone, but was a very roided out bodybuilder. Just because you have that memory and you'd be offended by seeing someone beat up by a very large green person does not mean that you should be offended by the scene in Avengers where the Hulk slaps the shit out of Loki. Right. Because that is a big green person beating up a little person. You have that memory that evokes something in your emotions about, oh my god, that hurts. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that Joss Whedon should not have included that in his Avengers movie. Now, if for whatever reason... Okay, let's go back to the Avengers movie. The fact that there's really one, one and a half strong female roles in that movie i would say three quarters okay come on well there's one main character and then there's the other shield right there's a right lady and honestly black widow was only there she made no lasting contribution to the battle of new york and neither did the shield member okay i'm just i i understand but criticizing joss whedon Joss Whedon, who is big on female empowerment, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, all about what happens when the monster goes after the little girl and the little girl fights back and all that kind of stuff. When he is criticized for, hey, you don't really have that many strong women in this movie. That is something to take into account that, yeah, that might be something to be offended by, to criticize about and to understand and empathize with so that the world can be a better place. It's similar to some, I think it's called the Bechdel test. Yes. It's, the idea that if you, if you have a five minute scene between two women that is not talking about a man, it passes the test. No, it is actually one minute dialogue between two women talking about something other than a man. And seriously, go through movies and start looking at it with that eye. There's very few movies, even today, that actually pass the Bechdel test. So because there's some, always the token female. Yeah. So that's something where we can, people can express their being offended by that. And then other people can take a step back, hopefully, use their skeptical worldview and say, you know what? It never occurred to me, you know, like me being white male of almost every privilege imaginable in this world. There's a lot of things I just don't understand that I need a female friend. I need an African-American friend to show me. It was only when I was driving with a friend through Pennsylvania and we were pulled over because basically he was a black man behind the wheel of an expensive SUV that I understood that deep rage that someone could feel for being pulled over for nothing. I needed to be shown that and explained that by someone else. And and that's where someone being offended and expressing that and getting that out in the media can do some good if it's expressed in the right way, as opposed to being a PC police thug who says, well, you just can't talk about Muhammad ever. Right. Unfortunately, some things like the Washington Redskins situations, people are accusing people saying that the Redskins should change their name are being accused of being overly sensitive, overly PC, where they don't quite understand the history and the feelings of the people on the other side. It's not as huge an issue like is if you call the team the Baltimore niggers. It's not as bad as that. So it's not horrible that my entire 37 years of life, people have talked about changing that football team's name, but it quite hasn't happened yet. Some progress can take some time, but other progress... We got to do now. Exactly. So I guess we're at our wrap up. Yeah. What did we learn tonight on the skeptic Wear? We learned that Harpo doesn't like Hitler. Well, that's very true. And it's very good of you, Harpo. We, we appreciate that's that. That's a good girl. We learned tonight that it was Suzanne Summers birthday. So happy birthday. Now go read her website, SuzanneSummers.com, <laughs> sexyforever.com. I know how I think you should rate them, but use your own judgment. Be a selectivist. Now, here's the thing about Suzanne Summers. I can be offended by her, but I can't be the PC police thug because 
guess what? Some people are just going to be offended and I can't force them to be offended even though at times I want or need them to be offended. Besides, sometimes it's just plain rude, but the flip side is that it shows our empathy, which I guess is good. So offended empathy is both good and bad. It just depends on context. Wow, that was one breath. Congratulations. Yay! <laughs> and that's pretty much what we talked about. So go out, be offended. Just remember to do it in a classy way. Right after you've liked this podcast on Facebook and give us a positive review and emailed us fun stories and tell us how much you love us. And I should stop talking. I'm starting yeah. to sound desperate. But yeah, we'd love it when we hear from re from readers, from listeners. <laughs> well, you could have called them viewers too. Yeah. Yeah. We love to hear it from our listeners. We We really do enjoy when you guys post news to our Facebook because we like talking about things that are not just in our bubble. If it's something that is personal and is affecting you or something you think that we might be offended by, go ahead, <laughs> post it. You can find us at facebook.com slash the skeptic wire or just skeptic. Wire. Ah, just skeptic wire. It's you, you at the skeptic wire for our Twitter, isn't it? Yeah. It's all in the show notes in black and white. Go there and, and, and read and like, and review and, tweet and and trust me we won't be offended if we've offended you sure yes gotcha <laughs> <laughs> okay i guess that's all for tonight um we will see you next week same bat channel same bat time and we'll talk to you then get well soon donna bye bye the skeptic wire podcast theme music is by oscar lawn with guest mandolin by greg perrine if you've enjoyed listening to the skeptic wire leave a review on itunes or leave us a voice message via the pod posted app for iphone friend us on facebook or follow us on twitter at the skeptic wire follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email skepticwire at gmail.com you've been listening to the skeptic wire but the idea that you should take extreme measures to force someone to believe in God, no matter what, raises to the level of abuse and does not understand how someone else might feel. Or the idea that not everybody would believe in something you can't prove, like God. <coughs> wow, you were holding that one in for a while. Yeah. Sorry. No. It's fine. Feel free to wave at me. Uh, no. I, I, I knew where you were going, so I was like, okay, I'll hold, I'll hold, I'll hold. And what was going through my mind was, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> there is an extreme lack of empathy 